Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. As always, thank you so much for joining us. Today, we're going to look closely at the Holy Communion. All Christians should agree this is a very important event in the Bible that God commands us to practice. The question we need to ask ourselves is why? Is it the ceremony itself that Jesus wants us to honor? Or does understanding the types that the ceremony represents take precedent? Great questions. So join us now as we open our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears and seek these answers in the Word of God. A reading from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That was 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 26. So Andy, God must have a plan because the very last Bible study that we recorded was called True Food and True Drink, and it actually touched on leading up to the communion. It was the passage of John 6 where Jesus uh, talks to the crowds and says, you must uh, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. And at the end of that particular study, we started to get into communion, the, the practice of communion. And um, I think it's just amazing and beautiful that, that God uh, had put this on your heart to also get into this topic today. Agreed, 100%. So let's start off with our usual um, acronym that we use. Uh, we always use an acronym called the SPACE method, SPACE, S-P-A-C-E, uh, stands for four things to consider. SP stands for speaker. A for audience, C for context, and then the E is explanation. It's just our way of saying, let's remember those three things before getting into the fourth thing, which is the interpretation. And if we use the SPACE method, the SPACE acronym on today's scripture reading, we see that the speaker is the Apostle Paul, who is the writer of most of the New Testament epistles. He was once widely known as Saul of Tarsus. He was a Pharisee that was uh, famous for his many prior attempts to cause the demise of the church. And of course, the Lord made him his own personal messenger by converting him on the road to Damascus. And, you know, during the time of this letter, he was recognized as being Paul now, the apostle to the Gentiles. Um, he also claims authorship in chapter 1, for those of you who are sticklers for those details, by saying uh, in verse 1, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. 
Okay, Jordan, now we'll go on to the audience. The audience is the church at Corinth, which was located in Greece. Paul addressed the believers at Corinth as someone who was their spiritual father. He had founded their church, and he lived among them for about a year and a half, and had faced the Roman tribunal on their behalf as well. This letter was written to the church at Corinth, which means it is written to believers. Very important point to keep in mind. And like most early Christians, they were former Jews. And Paul began teaching in Corinth at the synagogue with the assistance of two Jewish believers who were Aquila and Priscilla. Some of you might remember them from the book of Acts. Now the Crispus, the leader of the Jewish synagogue in Corinth, his family and many other members were eventually converted during this uh, first missionary journey of Paul at the church of Corinth. And yes, soon after being witnessed to by Paul, they split off from the synagogue and formed the Church of Corinth. So that's who the audience is. Okay, good background. Uh, As for the context of today's scripture reading, the letter was written in the first century, roughly 50 years after Christ's time on earth. It was uh, written during Paul's third missionary journey. You mentioned his first when he established this church. So this was written a little bit later. He had established the Corinthian church during his second missionary journey and a few years prior to this letter. Uh, At the time, the letter of the church is only about five years old. So, you know, we, we can see that they had some experience, some maturity, but they were not yet fully mature. Right. Um, as for the Bible context of chapter 11, we see Paul continually giving the laws of Christ or traditions that the church now needed to adhere to. Yeah, Paul discusses the correct role of man and wife in their marriage. That's a key point to, to think of. And in the verses just prior to our study verses, we see Paul call out the Corinthians on their church divisions that he's been hearing about. He writes in verse 18, When you come together as a church, I hear that there's divisions that exist among you. And then in verses 20 to 22, we read, Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. And one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? So here we see Paul rebuking the Corinthians for being carnal when meeting to participate in communion. It's obvious they weren't appreciating the reasons for partaking in the event, which defeated the purpose entirely. Yeah, it totally defeated the purpose to make something that was so spiritual and and symbolic into something uh, so carnal and base. Right, just a feast, if you will. Right. And now that we know the speaker audience and context of our scripture, now as we follow this space method, we've sort of set it up. Who's speaking to whom? What was going on at that time? Now we can have a sharp review and get into an explanation of today's scripture reading. And I'll, I'll go through it one more time, Andy. I, again, it's 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 26. And it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thanks, Jordan. So there's definitely a a bunch of key points that we have to consider when trying to provide this explanation to our listeners. Let's start off by saying Paul is once again reminding the Corinthians the sequence of events. He is also quoting Jesus and what Jesus commanded Christians to do. So today, let's break down each verse. Verse 23. Paul starts out by sharing with them exactly what he received and how the events unfolded. So first he's introducing the communion and saying, this is the way I was taught. This is exactly how I want you to follow. Verse 24, he mentioned that Jesus gave thanks for the bread, broke it, and used it to mean it was a type for his body, broken, and passed it around. 
So there was definitely an implication there that Jesus was trying to explain to them, this bread is a type for my body. It's not literally my body, but it represents my body. And, there, and there's definitely deeper meaning to that. And we'll get to that later. Verse 25, here we see after they had the bread or his body as supper, in the same manner, giving thanks, pass the cup around for them to partake. And the key word here is when he says, quote, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So the order of events is crucial to understanding their types. And that's what we're going to talk about, Jordan. And finally, in verse 26, to summarize, Jesus is saying that as we often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are proclaiming the purpose of our Lord's death, how this benefits people who accept him and how much he should be appreciated. Yeah. So going back to the question that we brought up in the introduction, which is why is the communion so important? Uh, is it the ceremony itself or the types that it represents? Based on what we've studied today so far and read about in the, in the Corinthians actions in chapter 11, it's not the ceremony of it at all. Back then, it appears that people saw this um, communion as just another church event where Christians gathered to honor Jesus, and it's apparent that they eventually forgot the ultimate reason for it. And again, that, that happened within a span of about five years, how quickly right. we, we forget. Yep. Um, so let's look at the direct connection between the bread and Christ's body and the wine and Christ's blood. And first, let's remember that Jesus always existed before there were even bread and wine. It's safe to say that these are earthly types of heavenly things. For example, Matthew 16, 8 to 12 helps us understand a little bit more about the spiritual type for bread. Let's look there now. Um, verse 8, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000, and how many large baskets full you picked up? Verse 11, this is key. How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood, it says, that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And of course, teaching is that key word. Yeah, thanks for that, Jordan. So here we see Jesus warns against leaven, and it's basically that which puffs up bread to make it look beautiful. And the disciples then understood that the puffed up bread was a type for puffed up teachings, ergo scripture being corrupted, if you will. So basically what he was trying to say is, yes, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, that's where you go to learn about scripture, but be careful and beware how they present it to you because it's very puffed up and Basically, it's just the beautification thing. So it's just something to keep in mind. Now, in comparison, if the Sanhedrin's teaching is leavened bread, then Jesus's teachings must be unleavened bread or not puffed up because they were pure just for nourishment. It wasn't about what everybody else thought. It was more God providing the nourishment that we need for sustenance. Yeah, therefore, we can say that the bread we partake of in remembrance of Jesus at Holy Communion is actually a type of us appreciating his word given to us as scripture. And it's also critical, as you mentioned, that the bread is unleavened, that the bread they used at the Passover, the Last Supper, would have been unleavened because leaven is a type of sin. So we can't have leaven in the body of Christ, obviously. Exactly. And, you know, we're thankful for the communion bread. We're thankful for his good news, the gospel, and everything in it that builds our faith through his word. And you can see references to that in Romans 10:17 and Hebrews 11:6. The word is precisely how we actually know and believe in him today. There is no other medium. Yeah, in John 6.32, Jesus calls himself the true bread. And in John 6.35, Jesus again calls himself the bread of life. 
So here's a question for you, Jordan. How do we partake in that bread today? Well, we feed on his word, Andy. And that you can see going back to John 6, which, by the way, was uh, we covered extensively in that previous Bible study I mentioned. Um, and I'll, I'll just read a little excerpt of it. Uh, verses 48 to 51 of John chapter 6 says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also, which I will give for the life of the world, is my flesh. So we clearly see that Jesus is describing his life as the bread that we eat today. His being born as a man, leaving heaven itself, to have his word spoken to us, so we would believe unto everlasting life. Amen to that, Jordan. And in verses 53 to 56, Scripture reveals a little bit more here. And it reads, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, there's a couple key points there I want to focus on, Jordan. Um, the key word first that we want to look at is drink his blood, right? We see that repeated four times, I believe. It's drink his blood, drinks my blood, has eternal life. My blood is true drink and drinks my blood abides in me. So I want to look at that word eternal life, right? Again, to quote him, he says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. That word in the Greek, if we look at it, and now most people hear the word eternal, they just think forever. But that word in the Greek is actually the word aeonius, and it translates today as eon. And eon just simply means a, a sample of time. Right. There's a beginning and an end. Yeah, it means an age, right? So the be better way to translate that would be age lasting life. And of course, what age is he speaking of? He's speaking of the kingdom age. And you know, we, we kind of missed this in our uh, study of John chapter six. I'm glad you brought it up. Of all the verses that we read, we never we never dove into eternal life here. But that sort of um, the lesson was about predominantly about whether Jesus Christ was being literal when he said you have right. to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And the point being that certain doctrines teach that you have to literally um, the, the communion um, elements have to literally transform into his literal flesh and blood in order for you to be saved from hell. And the, this sort of neatly kind of changes the whole context of by realizing it's not e this is not even about um, salvation from hell. This is about. This is not about spirit salvation. It's about soul salvation. It's about salvation into the kingdom. Just by just by understanding the proper meaning of the Greek words. But anyway, you know, we see that Jesus Christ is speaking of his body and his blood. And if Christians partake in both, that it results in the uh, the attaining of age lasting aeonian, if you will, life for a for a future time period. Yeah, and keep in mind what Jesus said later in verse sixty three. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Again, I'll repeat, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and our life. So Jesus is saying the condition of our flesh while on earth is nothing to be compared to what spiritual profit we will one day gain if we partake in the communion and actually understand what they represent. So Jordan, I wanted to talk a little bit more about age life or eon life and how that is correlated to the millennial kingdom. Yeah. So, I mean, j just sort of put simply, again, the age is, is the thousand year time period in the future, the, the literal kingdom of, of Jesus Christ when he, after the second coming, comes into his kingdom and establishes it here on the earth. And that was 
you know, there's always this little bit of a, a time paradox. We're, we're looking backward on history and um, and seeing things as they actually transpired. But there was this, uh, during, during the entire ministry of Jesus Christ, there was this moment in time when, of course, God knows everything. He knows it wasn't going to happen during the first coming. But there was this moment of time, this period of time, when if Israel had accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah, then the kingdom would have happened right then and there. And that was essentially the, the mission that Jesus was sent down on earth to do, was to, was to tell the Jews that their Messiah was here and, and to accept him, and therefore he would become their king. And of course, again, God knew that he'd be rejected and that there would be this uh, grace period when the church can come to know him. Anyone, Jew or, Jew or Greek, Jew or Gentile, could become part of God's family. And then the second coming is when the kingdom will come. But that's what he is referring to here when he says Aeonian or age-lasting life. No, I appreciate that. Great points, Jordan. So moving on a little bit, we agree that the communion bread types his word. So what does the communion wine represent? Well, we have to understand, first of all, that he's using the wine as a type for his blood, okay? So if we want to find the answer in Scripture, we look in Hebrews chapter 8. Concerning Jesus after his death on the cross for the sins of the world, it is said in verses 1 to 2, quote, We have such a high priest who has taken a seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesties in the heavens a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. And then in verse 6, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant. There's that key word, better covenant, or a new covenant, which has been enacted on better premises. And then finally, in verses 8 and 12 to 13, we read, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel, and with the house of Judah. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. So Jordan, in order to understand the new covenant, it helps to understand the old. Yes, uh, the old covenant, the former high priest had often to go behind the veil of God for the sacrificing of animals for the forgiveness of the sins of the nation. You can see all those um, practices in the Old Testament spelled out very specifically. Um, they would, you know, for example, tie a rope around the leg of the high priest because if he did it wrong, he'd be struck dead immediately while he was behind the veil. They could drag him out without having to actually enter into the Holy of Holies themselves and also be struck dead. Yeah, if the bell stopped ringing, they knew something was wrong. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and Hebrews, that we just read from a little bit, um, Hebrews talks about the blood of bulls and goats and ministering daily. So th this is the old covenant, you know, it, it's the, the constant sacrificing, uh, blood running constantly of bulls and goats and, and also other animals. Um, to, to affect the forgiveness of sins. Whereas our new covenant given to us from our perfect high priest who died once and for all for all sins, you know, gave his sinless life for ours, it, it allows us to boldly approach God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jordan. And you know what? Being that you brought that up, I want to talk about 1 John 1, 9. It's a very famous scripture. Many conservative theologians feel that it's probably the second most important verse in the Bible, you know, after John 3, 16, or maybe Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And it reads like this. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That right there is the formula, if you will, of how we actually go to our high priest and have our sins forgiven. That is the new covenant. So when we partake in the wine and communion, we take time to appreciate the new covenant relationship we have with God for the forgiveness of our sins. And in summary, reading the word often and confessing our sins often is what the communion represents. It's also, like I mentioned that word formula, it's the formula to attain 
to the millennial kingdom. Yeah, well, what we didn't mention is sanctification, and that's really what the elements are about. Uh, as we were reading in John 6, and as we talked about in that previous Bible study, right. you'll see that word sanctification, which is making us continually holy, yeah, uh, clean. Cl- cleansing and renewing our minds and our and our souls. And I think um, that that's, that's when you truly understand the passage we read today, and you understand the purpose of, of age-lasting life, millennial life, you, you recognize that all these things are geared towards that, that process of continue, continuing salvation, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we definitely have to stay on the straight and narrow if we hope to attain to the millennial kingdom. That's something that's not just given, that's something that we have to earn. And the communion helps remind us how awesome Jesus was and, and what he did for us, not only for our salvation, but for our continuous sanctification so that we can make it to the kingdom of heaven. And as you said, it is eternal, uh, that once-for-all sacrifice, so much superior than the way that they used to have to do it, because the reason the blood ran constantly is because the nation was constantly sinning, and they constantly had a sacrifice. And what we're learning here and remembering through the elements of communion is that we have one sacrifice once for all, an eternal high priest. All we have to do is call on it, you know, First John 1, 9, and, and we will be cleansed once again. Exactly. So, you know, just to reiterate, the bread that's used in communion is truly a type for the Word of God. Right. His body brought into this world so that he could produce the Word so that we could receive it. And then secondly, of course, the wine is a type for his blood, and the blood is that which continually, and like you mentioned, eternally will cleanse us daily from all of our sins. So remember, it's not the ceremony that deserves honor, but remembering and considering the types that the bread and wine represent. And that's our lesson, which means we have just a few minutes to explain our initiative, Get 20, Give 20. Get 20 is our reminder that you can get a 20-minute Bible study anytime you like by visiting our website. We archive all lessons and make them available for free at 20minutebiblestudies.org. You can listen online or download them for later or even subscribe to the podcast version and have new lessons automatically delivered to your favorite smart device. Even more important, our website is the place where you can join in our Bible studies by sharing your comments and asking any questions you may have. And we have a growing Facebook community and a discussion forum. When you're on our site, you should also sign up for email alerts so we can let you know when new lessons have been added. Also, when you sign up for email alerts, our first email back to you will include a link to a special series we put together titled 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. It's an eye-opening set of Bible lessons, and it's our little thank you for joining our online community. It's all online at 20minutebiblestudies.org. Or, if you don't want to type so much, 20mbs.org will get you there faster. Moving on to Give 20. This is our special initiative to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as we can. We know so many Christians find it hard to make time to study God's Word and then feel guilty they're unable to do it. Studying the Word of God is so vital to our spiritual growth, and yet it can be so hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. This is why we created 20-Minute Bible Studies. Everyone can find 20 minutes for God, and now, with this audio program, that's all Christians will need. They can listen to a Bible study whenever and wherever they like. The Give 20 initiative is your chance to participate in this great ministry and receive the special blessings that come from spreading God's Word. By giving just $20 per month, you can help us create more lessons and reach more believers than ever before. Plus, we pledge that every cent you contribute will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more lessons like the one you heard today. And since our ministry is an official nonprofit registered with the government, your donation is also fully tax deductible. 
To join our Give 20 initiative, visit 20mbs.org and click Donate. And finally, 20-Minute Bible Studies is a ministry of Mysteries of the Kingdom, a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating Christians in preparation for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for another 20-Minute Bible Study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.